0: The handbell choir makes its way back down to uh, the seats. I want to take a moment before I go to the pulpit to uh, thank all of you who were kind enough to remember me in prayer last weekend. Uh, Some of you know that I was over in Arizona doing this competition called Train to Hunt. It's kind of an extreme athletic competition for bow hunters, for archery enthusiasts. I really appreciate the prayers because uh, they threw us a curveball. Uh, All of us had been training for a one-mile run with 60 pounds in our packs, and they announced that, uh, surprise, it's going to be 3.2 miles. And uh, I'm happy to tell you that I finished. It wasn't pretty, but I finished. Um, uh, Seven younger men dropped out, not bragging, not bragging. Um, But some of you have asked my wife, Kirsten, you haven't asked me directly, why do you do this? Uh, first of all, because by God's grace and healing power, I can. Um, it was about two and a half years ago that for a while, Kirsten had to push me in a wheelchair. Then I graduated to a cane. Some of you remember that. So I just thank God that I can move. And the second thing, and those of you who you know, are scientists should know this, it's Newtonian The body at rest tends to stay at rest, and a body in motion tends to stay in motion. And I want to stay in motion. (laughs) I don't want to be at rest. So anyway, it was a a great event. Um, I'm going to do two more, Uh, one in Colorado and then one in Minnesota uh, with all the people who think that uh, hunting is climbing a tree, shooting a deer, dragging it to the truck, and then going home. Um, I hope that those Minnesota... People are training hard because it's quite a challenge. But anyway, you were kind to pray for me, and I appreciate it. And for those of you on Facebook, there's even a short video clip of this person that looks like a, a big bear running to the finish line. That's your Pastor Bruce. Anyway, God bless you. Yep. So our second lesson is a uh, beautiful text. It's from First Peter chapter two, beginning with the first verse. Listen to uh, Peter describing who we are and uh, what God has made of us as His sons and daughters. Rid yourselves, therefore, of all malice and all guile, insincerity, envy and all slander, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow into salvation. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good, come to him a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight, and like living stones. Let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, See, I am laying in Zion a stone, A cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you then who believe, he is precious. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner and a stone that makes them stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. After all these years of ministry, you would think I wouldn't be surprised anymore, but I continue to be blessed and amazed by the beautiful and profound way in which God's Word speaks to us in whatever situations we find ourselves. God's Word speaks to us, giving us guidance and encouragement at the right time, often when we need it most. I selected this second reading long before, long before, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton emerged as the clear presidential frontrunners in the nomination process for their respective parties. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to get all political on you this morning. But we are living in some interesting times, aren't we? And as I studied and prayed over these verses in preparation for today's worship, I was, again, amazed at how instructive they are, especially in light of everything that we've been through during this political campaign season, I think the Lord, I believe the Lord, has some significant and important things to say to us as the church, who also happen to be fellow countrymen in these United States, as we move week by week closer to electing our 45th president. After the countless political commercials, after the months, Of all the campaign ads and the months ahead of us, which I'm no prophet, but I just think there's going to be some negative attacks, it's fitting that we hear these words, for we know, do we not? And God most certainly knows that some campaign tactics are anything but positive and honorable and objective. So I find these words from Peter instructive. Rid yourselves of all malice, guile, insincerity, envy, and slander. And from what many of you have told me, you've had enough of the malice and the insincerity and the slander in the political ads these last months. Some of you have told me that you find yourselves just hitting mute or turning the radio or television set off completely because you've reached your limit. Some have said to me, my candidate dropped out of the race. I don't really care what happens now. Others have said, whew, I just can't wait for this whole thing to be over. So I want to say, as we worship God, and I want to say this as your brother in Christ and as a fellow citizen, if your preferred nominee has dropped out of the race, it's not time for you to drop out. And regardless of the person who winds up taking the oath of office come inaugural day, for Christians... It will not be a time for gloating or complaining, for whining or bragging. I would suggest that as followers of Jesus Christ, inaugural day will once again be a time for us all to pray and to redouble our service to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Because, you know, God, did you hear what Peter had to say to us? God expects us to behave a little differently than the crowd. God expects us to behave and conduct ourselves differently than fellow countrymen who are not followers of Jesus Christ. And the Bible surely reminds us that the kingdom of God is not the kingdom of this world. Hallelujah. And the Lord expects his people to conduct their lives, to control their speech with honesty, sincerity, and decency. And this certainly includes the way in which we talk with and talk about our brothers and sisters who happen to be on the opposite side of the aisle as far as politics are concerned. Our unity as Christians has never been our political party or our preferred political candidate. Our unity is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Peter speaks to us about what it means to live together as a nation. But he's not speaking of the kind of nation that most think of when they hear the word. This nation is not the United States or any other country. It is not a nation with a man made constitution that can be amended. It is not a nation with a government by the people. It is not a nation in which we select and elect and install or welcome our chosen leader. This nation is the people of God. The older I get, the more acutely I become aware of the fact that we are citizens of these United States for only a short while compared to the eternal citizenship we have in the kingdom of God. And Peter rightly calls this nation holy because its leader, its king, is the living God. And God has called us and set us apart to be citizens of that nation, not just when we die and go to heaven, but even now. You have dual citizenship, the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of our Lord. Our Lord was not elected into office. He cannot be elected out of office. He is the eternal king of love. He is Lord of life, and his word abides forever. And we Christians need to remember that our king was rejected by the human family. Jesus was rejected by the very ones he came to love and serve. Rejected not by impeachment, but by crucifixion. I wear a cross around my neck that my wife, Kirsten, gave me years ago. I treasure it, not only because it's a gift from her, but because the cross reminds me how much God loves me and loves you. And some of you are wearing crosses this morning. We have a cross here in the front of our sanctuary. We sing of the beautiful cross, but the cross also reminds us that the human family rejected God's anointed son. So at the same time, this cross reminds us that in spite of our rebellion and our rejection, God is committed to and relentlessly loves his sinful, rebellious children. The cross does not mean that God accepts or ignores our sin. It reminds us that God Accepts us and wants us, and has done what is necessary to have us, that he is full of forgiveness and abounding and steadfast love for sinners like you and a sinner like me. Through the cross, you see, God makes us new. No matter how foul we may be, God makes us clean. And in fact, in fact, God makes us royal. A royal priesthood. That's how Peter describes it. If you are a Christian, then you are royal. You are a royal priest in the king's service. You are ministers of the good news of Jesus Christ. You are, all of you, God's servant people. Now, in the kingdom of this world, I understand and I accept the reality that there are many things that have to be negotiated in the world of politics. There are many areas where we simply have to compromise. That's the way of the world if we want to live in some measure of peace and good order. But in the kingdom of God, our calling as a royal priesthood is a non-negotiable. It must not be compromised. Our shared priesthood that got Martin Luther in trouble when he dared to talk about the priesthood of all believers, not just priests and monks and bishops and cardinals and the pope. Our shared priesthood means that no one Christian is any closer to God or better than another. It's level ground at the foot of the cross. There's no pecking order, and there's no chain of command in which some Christians are higher and holier And more important or significant than others. We're all sinners saved by grace alone, all belonging to the royal priesthood in which every believer has a God given role and a God given ministry. And so it means for us that every believer, man, woman, and child, has a privilege and a responsibility to do God's work on earth until we see our Savior face to face. And we do that work regardless of who happens to be living in the White House at any given moment. In the last election, the Committee for the Study of American Electorate put the total turnout at 118 million people. That seemed like a lot or a little. It represents less than 60% of all eligible voters, which means just over 40% of our fellow countrymen and women did not participate at all. Well, so it goes, this side of heaven, but in the kingdom of our Lord, God expects 100% turnout, 100% participation in the ministry of sharing his love and showing the world what it means to follow Jesus. This is, is non-negotiable. Being a Christian means following the Lord in the good times and the bad times. It means loving Jesus because He first loved us and died for us. God has blessed you for God has chosen you and our God makes no mistakes. And in that choosing, you are royal. And yours is an eternal nation. You are God's own people. You and I belong to him. Once we were no people, but now we are God's very own. Once we had not received mercy, now we have received such sweet mercy. And nothing will ever be the same again. So, when you step out the front door tomorrow morning, no matter what the latest news story brings, don't forget who you are. Don't forget whose you are. You are royal. The Word of God declares it to be so. The Prince of Peace is your friend, your Savior, and your brother. You are royal. Because of your noble birth? Huh? Probably not. But because of your rebirth, because you have been joined to the death and resurrection of Jesus in holy baptism, he is the Lord of lords and King of kings, and you belong to him. There may be no royal ancestry in your family tree, no kings, no queens, no earls, no dukes, not even a duchess but it doesn't matter. Hey, I just found out recently, because my family's doing this 23andMe little experiment with genetic testing to find out our ancestry. Uh, My wife, Kirsten, said that my results finally help her to understand a lot about me because this laboratory had the audacity to tell me that I have more Neanderthal DNA than 95% of the population. Neanderthal. (laughs) I'm royal. And so are you. Because we're all sons and daughters of the king of the universe. Never forget your status as children of God. Royalty. And priests. Priests are simply... God's sons and daughters set apart to be holy. Do not think, do not make the mistake for which Martin Luther was willing to stand and take all the criticism and all the threats of Rome. Do not think that pastors are the only priests. Here at Faith, we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of priests Because every Christian in this congregation belongs to the priesthood of all believers. You are a minister of the gospel and you are called to a priestly vocation. No matter what it is you would say when you fill in the line occupation or job. You're a priest and you're royal. As we thank God for the beginning of another week, And as we move into the coming days, not knowing what we will face or what will happen, carry with you your royal status, not to brag, but to serve. Because our royalty is of an altogether different kind. Our king came to serve, not to be served. God's counting on us to be a servant people in the world. How will you serve the Lord, royal priests, this coming week? How will your choices and your language and your behavior demonstrate to those around you the goodness, the nobility, and the grace of your awesome king, You can't answer that now. But you surely will. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.